Welcome to Therapists Are People. Therapists are people? Never really thought about it. A group of therapists discuss mental health, answer questions, and interview other humans. How are you doing, everybody? It's good to see you. Hi. Good to be here. Well, I'm super excited to get us started in our our first episode here. Um, We've been kind of dreaming up as a team how this is going to work, so I'm really glad that we're going to get a chance to to actually get rolling. Um, Before we get started with anything today, um, we thought we would just kind of mention what our hopes are with this podcast, what our mission is, so to speak. Um, We're hoping that this is going to be a show that talks about mental health uh, beyond the therapy couch. We hope to bring you curious, thought-provoking, honest, humble, vulnerable perspectives about mental health and well-being. We'll focus on destigmatizing mental health and therapy. We'll focus on the strengths and human potential. We'll focus on identities that influence the way we move through the world. And while you listen to our voices, we'll listen to yours, creating a community that dialogues about mental health. Before we dive any deeper, I I was hoping we could introduce our team. Um, Over the next several episodes, you'll hear from a whole variety of different folks. Uh, All of us are therapists at the University of Iowa, and we work for the University Counseling Service. And so this is a great team, and give you all a little bit of space and time to, to introduce yourselves and share a little bit about yourself. Who wants to start us off? I can start us off here. I'm Brittany Greenbaum. I'm a clinical psychologist at the university. And the identities that I bring to the space is that I am a white female raised Jewish. Um, I identify as a therapist, which is a really important identity for me. And I also focus on trauma in my work as well as compassion. Um, A fun fact about who I am is I am a terrible klutz. I bump things, knock stuff over all the time and can't ever seem to not run into a table. So if you ever see me or see someone bumping into stuff, that's probably going to be me. I can jump in next. Um, So my name is Patrick Galligan. I use he, him, and his. Uh, The identities that are salient to me, uh, I suppose, and to probably people in in the world around me. A male, cis, heterosexual, uh, Christian man. And I think, as Brittany sort of mentioned, therapist is an identity that's important to me too. I'm a parent, and that's definitely changed the way that I am professionally and personally in a lot of ways. Um, The thing that I was going to share about myself today is that I am unintentionally and unironically awkward. So this goes back a long way. Uh, Maybe this ages me a little bit, but as a kid on the playground, uh, whenever anybody chose the Power Ranger that they were going to be at recess, I would unabashedly choose Billy, the Blue Ranger. So while everyone was, uh, well, everybody else was choosing way cooler Power Rangers, uh, tougher Power Rangers, I was choosing the sensitive, hopelessly dorky one. So my friends must have been like, are you sure you don't want to be like the eighth Tommy on the playground? But I was like, nah, Billy for me, please. So I, I wish... I could say I was just being geek chic ahead of my time or like a Power Ranger hipster or something. But no, I just went with the brainy, sensitive, kind of sad, but kind and compassionate Power Ranger, which I think is kind of the perfect archetype for me. So that's my that's my self-disclosure for the day. You've always been a therapist in the making. Yeah, exactly. He was the sensitive one. Yeah. yeah. And I love that reference, too. That's totally my time period. <laughs> I was way into Power Rangers. Thanks. Um, along, along those lines, I guess I could go next. Um, my name's Kyle Vatrebeck. Um, I'm a social worker. Um, I'm 37 years old, uh, straight white male. I use he, him, his pronouns. Um, I've lived in the Cedar Rapids and Iowa City area my entire life. I went to undergrad and grad school at University of Iowa, so I'm really familiar with the area and the system. Um, I have two two older stepchildren who are uh, 20 years old and 16 years old. And I have two um, little kids of my own who are four and two um, to, to continue with the Power Rangers theme or to create a theme from Power Rangers. Uh, I have really distinct memories of uh, my nerdy older brother 
and I use nerdy in a positive way because I have a lot of respect for him. Um, my nerdy older brother wanting to watch the news, um, but it was on at the same time as Power Rangers, and so my mom had to create a TV chart for us to decide who got to what, who got to watch what. And I have a really distinct memory of uh, Power Rangers was a rerun, which it often was, and my brother tried to use that as an excuse for me to have to forfeit <laughs> my night to watch so that he could watch the news, and I was not having it. And uh, I definitely remember crying about that. <laughs> Kyle still revisits that. So sweet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's dredge it up. Maybe let's talk about it. We should change our, uh, our mission for our statement is to talk about mental health and Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I can go next. So I'm Heidi Schmidt. I am a social worker. I did my graduate work at Iowa. Um, I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, I'm a white female. I identify as Lutheran. Um, and then my identity as a parent is also really important to me. Um, I'm kind of listening to Kyle and Patrick. I'm thinking about my fun childhood memories, and really, my memories are all about reading. I'm a really voracious reader. I usually have three or four books that I'm reading at a time. Um, and I have two dogs that are both literary named. I have a dog, Gryffindor and Lily. So I'm guessing you can figure out where those are from. Then my son is also named after my most favorite book as well. I love that. Um, hi, I'm Kristen. I am an embedded staff psychologist in the College of Business and use she, her pronouns. Um, I also identify as a raging introvert, introvert. So during this time that everyone's been introducing themselves, I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk, um, which probably won't work <laughs> well for a podcast now. <laughs> so um, my salient identities, I'm a white cis woman, um, heterosexual, I'm partnered, I'm also a parent. And um, as folks are talking about uh, childhood cartoons and whatnot, for me, part of being a parent has been accepting the fact that I really um, hate animated shows and I feel this obligation that I should watch everything in advance before my kids watch it, but I also find them to be incredibly like, mind-numbing, um, yet without fail when I actually watch them, thank you PBS, um, I get really tearful easily. So, for example, cars, every time that Lightning McQueen, like, goes out there and pushes the other car, whose name I don't even know because I've watched it several times, but, again, mind-numbing animated shows, um, <laughs> when he pushes it in, I always start crying, and then my kids are like, Mom, what is going on? And I'm like, I don't know. Just watch the TV. So, that's my, <laughs> my awkward introduction. Yeah, I, I love the idea of, like... Um you're so resistant to them, but yet they like capture your heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yep. I connect with that as well. Yeah. I have pretty vivid memories of my daughter uh, just turning to me during, ah, oh, gosh, I, it must've been Moana. And I'm just over there silently weeping. And she turns to me, just starts wiping my tears. And she's like, it's okay, daddy. <laughs> she's like already taking care of me. Is it when her grandmother oh, to be a therapist's child? Oh, yes. <laughs> that. We could do a whole podcast I on know, crime man. Inside out, every time. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm thinking of a specific too. moment. Yeah. No spoilers, but if I think about it right now, I'll cry. There's also, it was so interesting. Oh, oh, There's also probably a podcast for the weird experiences of children of therapists. Like, oh, that's going to be our side hustle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There has to be. Signing up. Yeah. There we go. So, for, for all the listeners, we, we really wanted to make sure that we named those identities for a couple of different reasons. First of all, you can't see us. You can only hear us. And you probably know very little about us. And we want to make sure that we feel connected to you all as an audience and want to make sure that you all have a little bit of information about the perspectives that are coming to you. We want to be humble about the identities and the privileges that we carry with those identities uh, because it definitely colors the lens through which we make this show. So we're really hoping that uh, we can own those upfront and uh, work to better understand perspectives that are not our own and to be humble about the ways that our privilege has benefited us. Uh, this is a, a very um, 
I don't know. It's it's an important kind of value of ours as a podcast, and I don't think we could get much further without sort of naming kind of why we're doing that. Yeah, you know, and just to kind of add to that too, like if we even think about how we introduce ourselves and when we bring our identities to play, how awkward are those moments nowadays for us when we're sitting there like, which ones are important to name? How do I name this correctly for everybody? And how do I fit in with this group? Like I noticed that I totally spacing cisgender or that I didn't reference being partnered or and I, I'm the one of us that doesn't have kids. So it's really interesting the different parts of us that come out in these moments. And I'm wondering if any of you all also have reflections on like what you notice as we were telling about our different identities, because these are awkward conversations we're all having all the time as we're accepting our identities and who we are, and also trying to connect with other people through recognition of their identities and our own. You know, I noticed that as I was listening to you guys talking about your identities, I was like, oh, I need to say that identity um, versus there's other identities that I had kind of written down in front of me to say that I I didn't necessarily say. And so I think that kind of speaks to like what you were saying, Brittany, about how do we present these in that feeling of what is kind of maybe a little bit of that uncomfortable, like how do we present ourselves? I know. And if we're therapists and we're still figuring this out, like I think it helps us empathize with everybody who's also struggling with this and also show our humanity as people who are sometimes assumed to have it all together that we really don't. We're still working on this too. We're in growth. Yeah. Fully agree. I actually censored myself. I had a, I had a deeper story that I was going to tell as part of my intro and then decided to edit that as everybody was talking about theirs. So it's something that I will I'll keep an eye open for a place that I can share it as we go. I'd love to hear now it. Now I'm so curious. <laughs> oh, that is what you call a teaser right yeah. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it'll come up. <laughs> I, I love that you brought that up, Brittany, because it's just such uh, like wonderful modeling for the kind of humility that I hope we can do on this show. And I hope that our listeners can sort of see and understand and, and, uh, and appreciate that we're growing in this too. Um, so I, I really appreciate that you brought that. Yeah, that's part of us showing our humanity here, right? Yeah, that segues really nicely into like why this might be a podcast for you. So this is something you're listening to and you're starting with episode one. Um, we think this is a good podcast for you if you want to, you know, hear honest conversations about mental health, but you also want to be able to see therapists in a different light. So perhaps you grew up in a community where therapy was and mental health was stigmatized or um, you thought about uh, mental health as something that's not talked about. Well, we want to explicitly talk about it here. And we want to, as therapists, also model our own struggles and our own growth, uh, the ways that we're trying to, you know, put the pieces together ourselves. And if that is a a thing that sounds attractive to you as a listener, then I hope, I hope you'll keep tuning in. Are there other things that you all want to add in about like why, why this might be a good podcast for folks who are just starting to check us out? One thing that we had talked about when we were um, playing around with the idea of this was that in the context that we're in right now with folks being physically distanced, um, that a lot of us are getting pretty exhausted with interacting with other people over um, like video conferencing. And uh, I, I noticed that people I've spoken with um, are leaning into receiving information in other ways. And that was something that I really appreciated you bringing forward, Patrick, of, um, you know, this is a way to engage with students who are on the campus where we are and um, maybe give them some information without being exhausting in the same way that it's exhausting to look at a computer screen full of faces who are also watching you and um, kind of maybe a little more yeah. easy to incorporate into life. Yeah, let's break up the Zoom fatigue if we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard so many people use the term zoomed out. I'm zoomed out. I cannot sit and stare at a screen any longer. It's it's different than 
it's taxing in a different way than sitting in front of my computer all day like I did before we were all sent home. There's something about having to sit within a specific picture frame and try to make eye contact however many inches below the actual camera that the person's picture is. It's it's odd. Um, I definitely think it's better than nothing. And I think there's some advantages to doing telehealth. Uh, I'm really curious to see how it's all going to pan out and play out with what the students want as far as in-person counseling versus uh, telehealth. I think it's neat that we open the door to it. Yeah, there's so much that is exhausting about talking to anybody on Zoom, not just in the context of therapy, but you miss so much information about how a person is postured and how they're sort of interacting with you in a nonverbal way. And that is part of, I think, what makes Zoom so exhausting is your mind has to work extra hard to try to interpolate a lot of what that other person on the other end or the other people are thinking, feeling. Uh, so I think that makes Zoom extra exhausting. And from from your therapist's perspective, they feel as exhausted as you do. Um, I, I know I certainly do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it also, though, invites maybe more of a vulnerability, too. Like, we're getting invited into other people's spaces and we're inviting you into our spaces and so like as a therapist I'm getting a perspective that I maybe wouldn't get to see as I've met pets and seen like what does your bedroom look like or it's a whole new perspective that I've really enjoyed through telehealth and I'm really still enjoying as we're participating with that and in zoom meetings too like I'm getting to see what all of my colleagues like bedrooms or offices or houses what they all look like so that's been kind of fun for me right I agree with that my my clients have met a lot of my clients have met my kids like that's something that just just never happened before because my kid would never just come and barge into my office so that's been it's been a really interesting thing I also think it's been really cool how students have like when I meet with clients like they're just chilling on their bed or chilling on their couch and they're super comfortable and they didn't have to get ready to come to counseling. And then, you know, we got sent home at spring break and haven't had to go back to the office since I've been doing counseling in basketball shorts for what, three months now. I mean, as long as I'm wearing a clean shirt, this is, it's, I think it's kind of awesome in a lot of ways. It's been neat to see my client, my clients just lounging around talking. I also have so much respect for the, the clients that we work with that have made such an effort to be able to connect with us. Like how many of you have, I would bet it's all, but how many of you have worked with a client who went out to their car or drove yeah. somewhere to get internet connection? That's just Absolutely. awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I love the motivation. Great length. Everybody's head just nodded there. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean that to interrupt awesome. you there, Brittany. I just noticed everybody's head was nodding um, and it, you can't see us, but like we are all very enthusiastic about these links that everybody's yeah. going to. And at the same time, I think we have to recognize the limitations of therapy and how therapy is not traditionally valued in some different cultures, particularly because therapy or psychotherapy as a field has been repressive to people of color. And one reason why I think we want to do this is to take time to recognize that and maybe help to reintroduce what we're trying to do with therapy now, which is um, take ownership of the history that we have as a field, but also say we want to make we want to make right what we've done and we want to present and show up in meaningful ways. And so I think this podcast, um, I hope, can show a little bit of our solidarity and desire to step out of our offices in order to meet you more where you're at as a person and to introduce stuff that you might learn in a therapy session that you maybe don't want to go to therapy to get. So we're hoping that this may be a way to access more mental health support and community without necessarily having to put yourself in the vulnerable place of um, meeting with us individually. Yeah, and I thank you, Brittany. I, I also think with that, as we were just talking about the increased disclosure that we've had and that our clients have given um, that during this time where we're doing a lot of telehealth, it's asking a lot more disclosure on the part of clients. And so folks who maybe wouldn't feel that comfortable showing up for an in-person session in an office are now being asked to show up in their home in a way that might not feel um it might feel like too much self-disclosure for some 
um, or inviting like, too much mm-hmm. potential mm-hmm. scrutiny um, into their life, their spaces, their family members. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I love the opportunity to give information that's not in that traditional therapy setting or with traditional therapy expectations. And I hope this normalizes for folks who are considering going to therapy but are concerned about what it would be like over some digital format like Zoom, that, yeah, we, we hear the kinds of concerns that you have about doing therapy in this way. We recognize them as really valid uh, kind of barriers to getting access to therapy. So we feel strongly kind of in the age of a pandemic that we're finding other ways to reach out to people if they do feel reluctant to do therapy in this way. Uh, we feel that pretty strongly. And for all the people, too, who maybe don't have it safe at home to be able to do therapy. So we hope that we can give you skills and support if you can't access support in other ways. Or even if you have that extra support, that you'll enjoy listening to us be our silly selves. Yeah, absolutely. That's well said. Yeah. You you read my mind on that, Brittany, that... (sighs) we can't assume that someone's home is a safe place for them or that they would feel comfortable having um, conversations, sensitive conversations at home. Like maybe that was a a useful part of doing therapy in person in the office is that they knew they wouldn't be overheard. Um, Again, I've met with clients from their cars. I've met with clients in who snuck out to the garage for a while. Um, I've met with really creative clients who wanted to be able to have a safe place to talk and, um, it was not convenient, but they made it happen. That's not to say everybody can make it happen, but I will say that people tend to be pretty creative. You know, I think we're, we're all starting to talk about the ways that we're being therapists and our clients are being clients in the age of uh, telehealth or teletherapy. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the kinds of things that we see with our clients. What kind of things do they, in a kind of patterned way, uh, the struggles that we, we see a lot in our clinical work right now, we were talking about the kind of in the process of developing this podcast, we've had a lot of aspirations to cover certain topics or discuss segments that we thought would be engaging. But when it came down to it, we really thought the best place to start this podcast would be to sit down and have an honest conversation about what's going on in the world right now and what our clients are facing. And to some extent, what we're facing too, the uncertainty of a pandemic and the injustice that comes from racial unrest. So. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the kinds of things that, as a way of normalizing the kind of concerns that we see in our work, what's coming up as as we're working with clients right now? I feel like I always get us going, so I was giving it a second. Does anybody want to jump in before I start rambling away? <laughs> you do a good hey, job of getting us going. Um, Well, what I'd have to say is I see a lot of fear and panic happening right now. There's a lot of unknown policies around our international students that's causing a lot of scare right now. There's the fear of what's going to happen next semester. Am I going to have classes in person? Am I not? Am I going to be required to wear a mask? What if the person next to me isn't wearing a mask? How do I have conversations with my roommate about their um, excessive going out when I'm at home and trying to like make sure that I don't get sick so I don't get a parent sick? There's so many nuanced complications to this as well as how do I talk about my identities? How do I inhabit my identities again if I left them behind for a while in order to fit into the status quo? Yeah, I sort of tag into that and say, I feel like I see in a lot of clients uh, an increase in black and white thinking. Like there's there's a lot more sort of all or nothing kinds of feelings or or decisions that people are making. I feel like that serves to maybe bring about a sense of certainty when things feel uncertain or things feel unjust. If the world feels messy and kind of out of control, well, the black and white, the, the poles of those decisions or those feelings or thoughts, those are much more kind of tangible. They're much more uh, accessible rather than living in the gray area that we all kind of have to right now. So I think not just in my clients, I'll own it myself. I, I find myself slipping into kinds of all or nothing kinds of thoughts that uh, that feel out of the ordinary to me. And my clients, I think, I see them struggling with it too. 
Absolutely. I see I see a lot of restlessness. Um, people feeling pent up and they are <laughs> people are, are locking themselves down in their apartments um, for the greater good and it's taken away a lot of people's um, what they had been doing up to that point for coping skills and for fun and for, for fulfillment. Um, some clients that I worked with, um, everything that they were looking forward to was taken away. And they were dealing with that and like, okay, well, what what can I develop in my life now that will even compare to all the fun stuff that I had planned? And then the wind was just taken out of their sails. And I actually, when they talk about those things, I find myself <laughs> connecting with them on a very deep level. I'm like, yeah, there's lots of things I'm not going to get to do. But then the, another thing that I feel like I see frequently right now is people having to learn how to navigate the social landscape, learn how to navigate social relationships and friendships and um, even romantic relationships where maybe partners don't live together and how are they supposed to see each other with social distancing or if someone has a family member or one of them that's more susceptible or at higher risk, um, again, uh, feeling cut off from their friend groups and even if they are still hanging out with their friends, some, it's not at the scale that they were before. So it's not, it's, it's not so enough. Back on that too, with a lot of clients living at home right now, I feel like a lot of people are thrust into kind of difficult conversations that they otherwise um, might've had some sort of buffer to not have to have around the kind of political climate right now. But I feel like it's a constant thing I'm talking about with folks is how to have a, a really difficult conversation about race or about class right now. Um, it just, it tends to be a thing that it's just, it's coming up a ton right now in, in the, in the work that I'm doing. I think a thing I'm noticing is that, um, folks who hold privileged identities and have not been having those conversations, um, that it's new for them. And, um, I'm a white woman, so I'm lumping myself in with this too, that, uh, not having been socialized to talk with family, with friends about like, wow, look at this system. Look at how I'm having to unlearn what I've been taught as far as history. And um, that kind of calling in of um, folks in our lives who are um, saying things that we want to respond to. Uh, I am hearing from a number of clients and have also had that experience myself of really realizing ways that um, that holding a privileged identity has um, allowed me to not have that conversation with some folks in my life in ways that um, other folks who hold various minoritized identities have been navigating this for a long time. Um, so that's one thing that I've been hearing from clients and, um, you know, it's like any new skill, it, it doesn't come comfortably. Um, and there's this sense of wanting to be at the end point and the growth that has to happen to get there is really uncomfortable. And, um, you know, maybe it's the context of being in our homes and being separated for, from some of our other support systems too, that that's, um, that that's coming up as more of a challenge for folks. And then Patrick, when you were talking about all or nothing thinking, I was thinking about how much I'm hearing that with the way that folks are talking about their bodies right now. And, eating and activity yeah. and uh, some really problematic stuff that I see when I get on social media about um, it's the phrase quarantine 15 or something along those lines that I think um, you know that messaging about how folks should be spending their time how folks um, should be responding to this completely new situation that none of us have navigated before um, and a lot of unnamed judgment in it. You know, Kristen, I really, as you're talking about that, that really kind of connects with some of the things that I've seen with 
just individuals I'm working with, but things I'm seeing on social media too around substance use specifically too. You know, I think hearing a lot about like happy hours that are going on virtually or seeing how even those feelings of like isolation or loneliness, how people's substance use have changed. And then we add in maybe some different messaging around that. I think that can create different pressures and being at home with family and what that's going to look like. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm very aware of that. One of my roles at UCS is I coordinate the collegiate recovery program on campus. And, you know, as I work with students and just attend different things, these conversations are happening, whether it's with substance use or body image, all of those different things. And just wanting that black and white thinking, you know, either or, but also knowing it can be both and. And just for us to be kind and gentle with ourselves. Absolutely. I I find one of the upsides to right now, I guess, if, if there can be an upside, maybe it's a silver lining, is that when we were meeting with clients in person and they were going to school and they had their day-to-day life, oftentimes that would monopolize the session space. And what I'm finding is that as we have less to do in our day-to-day life, we're more willing to look at these salient factors of who we are and how we came to be. So I have clients diving into really deep places of identity exploration and um, looking at their past and seeing like, how did these different events shape who they are today and how did their relationships function? So I wonder if this step away from the rhythm of life is allowing us the space to reflect and be more intentional about who we want to be. Um, I hear a lot of people trying to become their better selves through the isolation of COVID, but also through this decision to um, be more authentic in their identity, whether they are Caucasian and they're wanting to further understand how their white privileges affect their way of relating to people and trying to figure out how to be a good ally or if they're a person of color saying like yeah I have all this pressure and pain from living in a society that doesn't support my identities and taking time to fully acknowledge that with um, at least myself as a white therapist and being able to hold that space together has been so meaningful to me Um, and I think possibly helpful for them too in the sense that they're being heard and respected and their identities are being considered differently. And that might not always be felt in the the most comfortable way because it's shining a light on something that's been hidden or something that we're scared to talk about or something that's been oppressed for so long. But I think this naming and calling out of this space is so valuable for moving together as a future. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for this time in, in many ways restricts the kind of possibilities that we have, but it also gives us freedom to explore a lot more too. And Brittany, I hear that in what you're talking about. There's freedom to explore some of these things that with the day-to-day or with other kind of societal pressures may not actually be as easily explored in, in the therapy session. Um, I hear a lot of us talking about ways that our clients feel out of control right now or have difficulty kind of managing the, the uncertainty of everything right now. I wonder if folks have any suggestions about how to how to help um, yourself as it um, as it kind of pertains to the the uncertainty of the world right now. Strategies, coping things that would help. Heidi, you want to take the lead here? <laughs> oh, yes, I can definitely take the lead there. Thank you, Brittany. Um, so I have a skill that I'm just going to share with everyone, and this is the STOP skill. It's from the DBT, Dialectic Behavioral Therapy Curriculum, and this skill is really grounded in mindfulness. Mindfulness is the idea that just being present, being present without judgment, letting yourself be. So the STOP skill stands for um, stop, take a step back, observe, and proceed mindfully. So first step is just stop. When you feel your feelings or you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling out of control, don't react, freeze. Remembering you are in control, you're the boss of your emotions. You get to name your emotion and put a label there. Then it's okay to take a step back. That's T, take a step back. 
give yourself some time to maybe get unstuck, take a deep breath, do something that's going to give yourself a break to decide how you want to proceed. Observe, observe what's going on around you, within you. What are you feeling physically? What are you feeling emotionally? What are you observing from other people? What's your environment? It's going to help you to make an effective choice. It's going to help you to not jump in, not be impulsive, but to take control and decide how you want to respond to your emotions. And then P, it's to proceed mindfully, to act on the plan that you made, thinking about what do I want to get out of this situation? What are my goals? Staying in control, staying calm, and then proceeding based on the emotions that you are choosing to respond on. I love that so much. Stop. I think what I love about it is that so often when we experience those emotions that aren't comfortable, we want to pivot really fast to avoid them. So the act of just stopping Mm -hmm. and naming it is... um, It's so simple sounding, but um, it can be so incredibly life-changing versus like, I don't feel comfortable and now I'm going to pivot and check social media on my phone or I'm going to pull up Netflix or I'm going to like whatever a person's thing is, right? Can I ask a question about this too? Like, I hear the word stop and I have ideas of what that means to me, but I'm actually not entirely sure what it means all the time or how to implement it. Like, am I stopping doing any physical activity I'm doing or what if I I can't stop? Can I stop slow? Can I start by slowing down my mind? I mean, can we clarify what we mean when we say stop? Yeah. So when I think about stop with this skill specifically, it's really doing what's going to be safe in that situation because we can't always physically stop. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Sometimes it's just emotionally stopping. And really what it is, is it's stopping that immediate reaction, giving yourself just a break, just a second to pause and decide how you want to proceed. So stop is flexible. This isn't a set skill that's do this, this, and this. It's what's going to work for you in this situation to help you do best moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's kind of like I have to notice that I'm feeling some distress. Like something's going off with me. Maybe I'm more distracted. I feel my heart rate's maybe going out of control or something like that. Or I notice maybe I can't think as clearly. And that should be like an indication like, oh, I just need to stop whatever I'm doing here for a second to the best of my abilities and kind of observe what's happening for a second so I can learn to respond to it and make that plan to like figure out how I do I want to move mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just giving yourself the space to decide and have the control over how you respond rather than letting your emotions have that control. When I first heard it, um, I heard it presented from the standpoint of like I'm driving my car and someone cuts me off really fast. And, you know, that like initial feeling of you're such a – it's sort of weird that I guess I won't do it on a podcast, but um, that like that idea of physically stopping, you can't physically stop when you're driving – But instead of leaning into whatever reaction might like escalate a situation or holding on to that anger um, and feeling really indignant, like just taking pause and being kind of curious of like what's going on for me right now. So that whatever you're choosing, it's just more informed. Yeah, I love that idea. Like you might not be able to stop your car, but you certainly shift your focus. You stop paying attention to the other thing you might be Mm -hmm. doing and you shift your focus to that thing that's right there in front of you. That's what mindfulness sort of is. So even though the car might be sort of, (laughs) you're careening down the highway and you have to make a quick decision, as long as you attend to that, you stop and you focus, that can help you uh, cope more, way more effectively with with the near accident in front of you. Yeah, I really, I love that. Like, because as you were saying that, Patrick, I'm thinking like sometimes we have these responses and they don't, they feel like they're related to one thing, but maybe they're totally connected to something else, things that are making us more vulnerable, um, things that have happened before or just simple things that make us more vulnerable to these stronger emotions and that stopping 
giving yourself just an observation, being curious about what's going on. Um, I think that just gives us some more flexibility to decide how we want to respond. I was hoping I could have us transition a little bit uh, uh, before we wrap up today to talk a little bit about the things that we see in ourselves in this time. I think we, we've already heard some degree of this from everybody on, on the podcast today, but I think to be able to talk a bit more about the normalization of therapists as people too and the kind of things that we find ourselves struggling with amidst um, police brutality and racial unrest, uh, the things that we find ourselves struggling with in the uncertainty of a pandemic. I'll, I just wanna make sure that we frame ourselves really authentically in this and that if you're listening to this, it feels like there's a, there's a more human being behind what you assume a therapist might be like. Yeah, I appreciate that, Pat. Um, I freaking miss my family. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of I know that a, a lot of psychologists travel around for um, education and then a, and then a job to start their career. I'm from here, at born and raised here. My whole family's here. My whole almost my whole family here. My whole uh, direct family is here. And we, before all this, we saw each other all the time. And my my parents got to see their grandkids all the time. And I mean, I. I barely see my brothers. I've seen my brothers like a couple of times in the past number of months. And that's su super uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic of us. I just, I really, really miss my family. Yeah. And to tag along with that, like I, I find myself seeing some people more than I used to. Like I have a Friday night, uh, like game zoom thing, but I see them, but it's not in person. So even though we see each other more often, still not quite the same. So I, I can totally relate to that, Kyle. I miss a lot of a lot of people in my life that mean a lot to me that I would more regularly see in person. Yeah, I'm just gonna say I miss people in general, like just getting out and about and that social piece. And you know, I live in rural Iowa, so not in Iowa City, not Cedar Rapids. Kind of isolated in a small town and. For me, just getting out, going to work every day, having that routine and that normalcy, I miss having that, um, kind of having that plan and getting to go do the things that I, I want to do, um, but also learning to create kind of a new normal and doing things that we wouldn't um, typically do and getting to see things that maybe, um, especially at home as a parent, that maybe I would have missed out on before. Yeah, I think um, for me, I, I have some misses, but I don't know if they're what primarily caused me distress right now. I think for me, I'm trying to figure out how do I be the best ally I can? How do I um, help our university as well as just our community heal and um, move forward in a positive way? I I've always been someone who's motivated for change and work really hard. So throughout all of this, I've done a lot of self-examinations and gone over events in my head that I'm like, oh, I could have responded better there. Oh, I showed some white fragility there that I wish um, I could go back and make amends for, have a conversation about. And in some of the situations I can and in some of them I can't. Um, but I think for me, it's, it's really tapping into the recognition of the privileges that I have and how that affects my way of relating to the world. And... Sometimes I feel like I do a really good job and I can feel a little bit excitement in myself and, you know, give myself that pat on the back and be like, yeah, you got this, you know, you're working well. And in other ways, I feel like, oh, I have a lot of room for growth. There's a lot of ways that I can keep improving and being willing to risk putting myself vulnerably out there and maybe saying something that sounds offensive or dumb because I don't know better. Like on this podcast, being willing to say sentences I maybe haven't before as an attempt to make the language more um, available to me. We have to try and start somewhere. So this is a platform that I hope to help me again, deepen my work here and also potentially get called out by one of you all as my fellow podcasters or by a listener who wants to leave a comment and let me know like, hey, this wasn't okay what you said or can you think about it in a different way? So I've just been leaning into really hard conversations, which I both value and it can feel a little drained by some days. Yeah, thanks, Brittany. I, um, 
that really resonates with me because I have felt that a lot during this time too. And, um, like embarrassment that when I think of what I learned about history, um, that it didn't, it didn't stand out glaringly to me that I wasn't learning um, these huge portions of history, that I was learning yeah. history that um, that had an agenda that perpetuated perpetuates um, oppression. And so like coping with that embarrassment and that sense of I want to um, I want to take action and and be helpful. Um, and I, I want to know my place in that. So my place as someone mm -hmm. who is um, listening and amplifying voices that aren't mine. Um, and I, I think that it's just been a lot of sitting and discomfort and trying to figure out um, how can I be helpful in ways that don't center my experience and the irony of talking about this in a way that is centering my experience, right? Like that, the discomfort <laughs> right there. Um, yeah. And so I thought at the beginning of our podcast, I was like, man, my little brother really liked the Power Rangers, but I, are the Power Rangers racist? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I, I would need to lean into that more. I, I, and do I say something? Do I not say something? I don't know. Um, but I think that that's like, that's at the forefront and then all around it is um that normally i have such boundaries between my work life and my home life and i love being a mom what i do not love is being a mom and trying to be a full-time working psychologist at the same time and so um yep. there's all of this sense of like i need to do my work in understanding uh unlearning what I've been taught and relearning new things and figuring out how to be a helpful um, co-conspirator in this, but not also forgetting that I need to feed my kids. I need to make sure that nobody is jumping off of a table right now. Yo, I caught him. Um, all of that stuff. And it's like, this has been hard. I don't like it. I don't want to do it anymore. Can we cancel coronavirus? <laughs> I think that's a, a pretty universal wish right now, Kristen. Um, cancel coronavirus, but keep the social justice yes. movement going. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think one of the things that I've been struggling with a lot is that that energy that I feel inside me, a sense of urgency to like make social change yeah. and also feeling really ineffectual right now. Like I feel like I have very few domains of my life that I feel in control of right now. So maybe this is white privilege coming up right now, but I feel like it pulls me out of a, a stance where I feel like I can be more empowered to make changes or um, that I can challenge things in, in my world that feel oppressive and uh, based in white supremacy. So I, I find myself feeling like I have limited uh, degrees of control in that. I feel like I, I keep pushing myself to learn a lot more about my privileges. And so I feel like that's a thing that I'm struggling with. Um, like, like I think has always been the case. I found myself struggling about how to model that for my kids uh, and how to be frank and honest with them about what's going on in the world. Um, so th those are like some of the bigger kind of challenges that I feel like I'm having too. Personally too, I just feel like it's really difficult to make decisions right now. Amidst all of the uncertainty in the world, I feel like I'm, I'm really, I've gotten really bad at being able to sort of nail down a thing that's going to happen for sure, to feel certain about it, to feel confident about it. Decision-making is already hard, but I think amidst all the uncertainty, it just got infinitely harder. And the only other thing that I was reflecting on that feels kind of like embarrassing to say, but I, I think I, I find myself, like my trust in other people eroding. You know, the, the people around me, I feel this sense of, sort of non-pathological paranoia. Like I'm, I'm nervous about the people around me. Are they going to make the right decisions to keep me and other people healthy? Um, even people who are close to me, I, I feel like it's sort of chipped away at a degree of trust that I otherwise I would have. Um, 
and, and seeing the kind of injustice that happens in the world right now too, it's also made me trust systems less. It's made me trust, um, it's made me trust people who look like me and have had experiences like me less. And maybe that's for the better, I don't know, but it's really sort of thrown off my sense of a just world. And uh, yeah, so trust has just been a, a thing I've been reflecting on and grappling with and it feels really hard uh, to establish right now. I really appreciate you sharing that, Pat, because I think it is a really vulnerable thing to share and something that is so real right now, because what we're all going through is a trauma. And one of the areas that trauma affects is our sense of safety and belonging in the world. So for you to struggle with that and name that is something that so many of us are struggling with right now. And it's it's not pathological. This is in response to something that is so out of our control and affecting every aspect of our life. And to have ever been felt a sense of safety or trust or control in our life is a privilege that we carry as potentially people who maybe didn't experience traumas or people who I do identify as white people who are highly educated. So we we're we're going through this and we are a privileged group of people. So think how much more challenging it could be for other people in our world. And I just love naming it and letting it be known like this is this is real. Well, one of our aims with this podcast is to make sure that hopefully you all who are listening out there feel uh, related to and feel that some of the things that you might be struggling with are are things that you hear and the kind of things that we we name on this on this podcast. And uh, it felt like this is a perfect time to create more of a a sense of community. Brittany sort of named this thing before, but we hope as we kind of continue to make this show that there's gonna be ways and channels for you all to reach out to us, to communicate with us, interact with us. Um, everything from in, in a digital sense to maybe someday in person uh, for us to interact with folks who listen to the show. So uh, we hope that um, you know, construction, it's in process right now. Uh, and we hope that pretty soon we'll be able to tell you more about the ways that we hope to interact with you. Uh, but for now, we just wanna sort of tell you how excited we are about being able to do this and communicate that there's gonna be a lot of ways that we'll be able to have dialogue with one another as uh, as the folks on this podcast and you all who are listening. I think we did it, folks. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah that's a good first step. Thanks for inviting well, us in. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I hope that um, y'all keep listening. We're excited to keep sharing with y'all and um, we hope that y'all will be well. I'll be well.